We might look at David and say, turn away from it, David. But what about the times when you failed to turn away from temptation? Leisure, lust, lies. Sin festers, rots, and kills. But our Savior forgives, restores, and heals. This message is from Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona. Ancient faith for today's world. February 12th, 2023. 2 Samuel 11, 1-27. You can't fix or solve a problem by merely hiding it. Maybe that'll sometimes happen as we get a small stain and that, that white shirt gets that little red blotch and we figure we can just fix it by putting a little bit of stain treatment on it. And when that doesn't work, we, we spread more solutions and maybe that'll fix it and it ends up being a big blotch and the formerly white shirt now is a, a pink shirt with white edges. And we might reason, well, I know what I can do now. I can just put something like a sweater over it, then I can still use it. But eventually the garment ends up in the garbage. You can't solve a problem simply by hiding it. Maybe you've tried to do that on something. I think all of us at one time or another had tried to sweep something under the rug. But hiding a problem will never solve it. Sin is like that. And today we see how sin can't simply be swept away. As we look at what happened to David, as David tried to cover his sin and ended in a desperate spiral into what led to death. We see that in 2 Samuel chapter 11. You know, if you read through First and 2 Samuel, you find what is really the unfolding of a godly life. David is someone who starts off on the pages of Scripture as a man after the Lord's own heart. The Lord chose David to be king. And David comes onto the scene as one who encourages boldness, trusting in his God, slays the giant Goliath. David humbly serves King Saul. David shows great display of mercy. When he finally has opportunity to get Saul, who's hunting him, to kill him, David spares Saul's life. And when David bears the title king, he wins victory after victory. God blesses him so his kingdom expands far beyond whatever could have been expected for Jerusalem. And David, as king, is someone who dances in joy and zeal before the ark of the Lord. He conquers and receives the city of Jerusalem and designs to build the temple of the Lord. David is taken by God from being a shepherd boy to a great king over Israel. And David gets the promise of the king, the Messiah, who would come from his line, who would rule over all the earth forever. See what God has done for David. And as you look at all this, David lives out such a godly life, trusting in his Lord. And yet, it's when David is wearing his royal garments that his stain is seen the most clearly. We read how David, at this time, when normally kings would go off to war, is staying home. Normally David would go off to fight with his troops as he sent them off to the battlefield. This time, he stayed alone home. 
And you might say, well, maybe David was being productive and he had some important administrative tasks to do while he stayed in Jerusalem. But then we read how David got up from his bed just before sunset. David's pressing administrative task was apparently leisure at the expense of others. And pride and idle hands make for a very dangerous recipe. After David got up and was leisurely walking around the rooftop of his palace, one which he had built out of magnificent cedar and which towered over the other buildings around, he could look down and see in the evening someone who was bathing on the rooftop. Now at this point, David should have turned away in respect and David should have gone no further. But David let that lust take hold in his heart and he peered and he watched. And David sought after who it was. David inquired and David sent for this woman. And maybe at this point someone might argue, well, David maybe didn't know what he was doing. But David, the king, sent for Bathsheba, that was this woman. David, the king who was in charge, went to her. Bathsheba was not the one who was in control here. David was in control. And as David was in control, it was apparent he was losing control. Because David, this one who had served the Lord, was now taking the next step to take Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, into his palace. David arranged for them to be alone. David knew exactly what he was doing. As he was losing control here, David was having an affair with Uriah's wife. David knew Uriah as one of his 37 personal bodyguards. David was a close friend and companion with Uriah. And now he was betraying him. David was taking advantage of his friend's loyalty and his position as king. David slept with Bathsheba. After this, it's kind of almost a little ironic to read about what happens next as Bathsheba goes home and she goes through ceremonial cleansing. And this isn't just taking a shower to clean up the evidence of having an affair. No, this is a type of cleansing that would make you ceremonially clean and fit to worship your God. As if that would fix it. This is the equivalent to really paying the parking meter when you're driving in a stolen car. Bathsheba couldn't fix what David had done. And then she sent that message not long afterwards to King David. I'm pregnant. And David knew that Uriah, Uriah who was off fighting for him on the battlefield, would know that something had happened and that his wife had been unfaithful and it would come out, it would come to light, it would literally come out that David was guilty. And so David tried to cover his tracks. David called for Uriah to return from the battlefield and David invited Uriah to join with him in what was his first sin, that guilty pleasure of leisure at the expense of others. And he tried to convince Uriah to go home to his wife so Uriah might think it was his own, wife, his own child that would be born. But Uriah is too loyal. He refuses to go home to his wife and stays and says, how can I go back to my wife when my companions are still waging a war on the battlefield? 
David further tries to intoxicate Uriah so that Uriah might still consider going home, but Uriah remains too loyal and does not go home. And what you read next is just so painful to read as you see David taking advantage of, once again, Uriah's loyalty as he sends in Uriah's hands a message. And that message is Uriah's own death warrant. Uriah is too faithful to read the message and break that seal, but he carries it to the commander Joab. And the message is this. Position Uriah where the fighting is the fiercest. Have the people draw near the enemy where it's fierce and then draw back so that Uriah might be struck down and killed. Joab, also faithful to David the king, carries out this order and many Israelites died, including Uriah. How did David respond when he got the message that Uriah was dead? Was he breathing a sigh of relief that now his tracks were covered? Bathsheba wasn't. She was grieving the loss of her husband. And David thought everything was all now covered. As the time came, he called for Bathsheba to come into his harem, as if David already hadn't been unfaithful enough to the Lord with taking all his wives in his non-monogamous marriages. And David then adds to it Bathsheba, appearing to be the compassionate king who's caring for this war widow. So David thought he had covered his tracks. But there's a problem. As we get to the end of this chapter, the whole summation of what David had done, that stain, David, which he tried to hide by deception, tried to cover and make it that no one would see, was seen by the Lord. At the end of the chapter, we read, as the Second Samuel 11 closes out, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. And you know what, the, the NIV doesn't quite capture what the Hebrew says. More literally, it reads here, evil was the thing which David had done in the sight of the Lord. David might have thought he was hiding it, covering his sin in his tracks, but nothing remains hidden from God who saw all that had taken place in the heart of David. The sin which began with lust and laziness, the sin which David allowed to take control of his heart and his life as David was led by his passionate desires in pride, trying to cover his tracks. God saw it all. And as you look at it all, evil indeed was what David had done. We kind of look at that and we say, how could David do this? But then again, rather than looking at the sins of David recorded on the pages of Scripture, don't we have to turn it around and look and say, aren't there times? Times when we, at the expense of others, enjoyed leisure and in our pride set aside the task at hand so that we could simply waste time. And in the process of having that idle time on our hands at the expense of others, Maybe we found ourselves drifting into some temptation. Have you found yourself then when that temptation comes and it lures you in, not turning away when you had the opportunity, but inquiring, seeking after, and arranging that that might have something further to grip your heart and putting yourself in a position for further danger as that sin begins to fester and rot in your heart? 
David, of course, had opportunity to turn aside. What about you? Are there times when you arranged for further trap into sin because you were beginning to lose control to your own sinful heart? And then as things progressed, David tried to deceive and, and cover his sin. Maybe we don't like to read about what happens because we understand just why David tried to cover his tracks, using the loyalty and trust of the people he had around him. Have you ever lied about what you have done, tried to cover your tracks? You see, David exemplifies the mindset of Christians today. Someone who wants to serve the Lord, but is capable of being seduced into sin, of allowing that sin to take control in his life and trying to cover his tracks. Christians today will find that it all starts with just a little bit of, maybe just a little bit of infatuation. Or they might say, it's not my fault that that image, that suggestive, seductive image popped on my computer screen. And they keep using that same app or social media. Or they seek out more time with that person that they encounter in whom they find this interest and infatuation. And they arrange to have more time with them and then time alone with them. And so the affair begins and the lies and the cover-ups begin. How many Christians like David haven't found themselves facing the guilt of adultery and turning to things like David did, which eventually ended up in murder, as they murder the child and use abortion as a cover-up for their sin. How many guilt-ridden Christians don't suffer under trying to cover their tracks? How many times haven't you tried to cover your own tracks and just make the sin look small? When Bathsheba tried to go through that ceremonial cleansing, maybe we can reason, if, if we just show up for worship and we do the outward ceremonially clean things, then we'll be fit to serve and worship our God. But the sin remains. You cannot sweep it under the rug. It festers rots, and eventually kills its victims. We might look at David and say, turn away from it, David. But what about the times when you failed to turn away from temptation, leisure, lust, lies? Sin festers, rots, and kills. But our Savior forgives, restores, and heals. Later on, David, when he found he could no longer bear covering his sin, and it came out to light, was exposed. And God made known to David through his prophet that he had seen what he had done, the evil he had done. And instead of covering his tracks, David turned to the Lord and experienced a great mercy an unfathomable mercy from his God that all experience who turn to him. Later on, David would write in Psalm 51, he would say regarding this event, Have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Can't hide it. Against you I have sinned, you only, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. 
And David then said, cleanse me and I will be clean. That's the cleansing that we receive from our God, not because we cover our tracks, but because of his great mercy. Don't try to cover your sin. But rather, look to the one who washes you clean. We have the same cleansing from our God who cleanses us by taking that stain away from us. And it isn't done by someone who unwittingly carries his own death warrant so that we could be covered. No, it comes as one, the Son of God comes. And long from all eternity wrote down that plan that he would carry our sin and he would willingly, as a loyal, loving Savior, willingly die so we might have our sins covered. Far greater than trying to cover our tracks is looking at one whose tracks lead to the cross. And we find in him a cleansing. The scriptures say that we receive that cleansing in baptism. We've been washed by our God, cleansed of all sin and every stain and every iniquity. And as we stand before our God, we read that those who are baptized are spotless and blameless in God's sight. God takes our sins off of us. And it's not that God permits evil, no, he takes that evil, cleanses us from that evil by his own son, Jesus, who took our place on the cross and removes that evil from us so that we could be free and righteous in his sight because of Christ. That's what we have in Jesus. That is now yours because of the work of Christ. Jesus, on his Sermon on the Mount, said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And for you, he kept that law. What we see is, if we try to cover our own tracks, sin cannot be dealt with on our own. It festers, it rots, and it kills. But now we can praise and marvel at the wonder of our God. Far greater than wondering, how could David do this? We must wonder, how could Jesus, the Son of God, do this? Take our sins away and let us go free. Praise the Lord who cleanses us from all of our sins, who covers all of our stains. Live for the Lord who has cleansed you a holy life because you have been set free from the festering, rotting, despair, and spiral of sin to serve him and live for him in his kingdom. And because Jesus took that sin to the cross and the grave, he rises in life with a spotless, holy life. We will join with him forever in his kingdom. Sin festers, rots, and kills. But our Savior forgives, restores, and heals.